Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. I'm Sarah Bemprat with Realcom, and I'm very excited to have a great panel of thought leaders joining me today. Um, I'm very much looking forward to their presentations and their conversations. But before we get started, let's go over a few housekeeping items. You can use the Q&A section to submit your questions and comments for the panelists, and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session and follow up with you in case we don't get back to you during the session. For the best webinar experience, we recommend that you log out of any other internet applications that are currently running. And in case you do run into any technical issues, you can email me at sbempred at willcom.com. We are recording this webinar and we'll be sending out a copy of the recording within the next few days. And you can also download a copy of the handout from the handout section in this webinar platform. All right, I'd like to introduce our sponsors for today. We have uh, Genia Locati, MRI and Prescriptive Data as gold sponsors and Silver Sponsor Building Engines. At this point, let's um, get a quick message from Building Engines. Hi, I'm David Osborne. I'm the founder, former CEO and chairman of Building Engines. Back in 2001, we created the first modern operations management platform for real estate owners, managers, tenants, and vendors. But back when I started this company 20 years ago, real estate was a laggard industry, some 20 years behind any other major industrial space. But thankfully, times have changed and building engines has led the way. Building engines has spent the last three years and tens of millions of dollars redeveloping its core application. We call it PRISM. PRISM is without doubt the most effective modern operations platform in the business. If you're not yet a customer, I look forward to having a conversation with you or having our team demonstrate PRISM. And if you are a customer, thank you for your long-term partnership. In the end, we understand that our success only mirrors your success. So far, it's been going pretty well, and I expect that trend to continue. Great, and we'll learn more about the other companies throughout the session. Um, I would like to introduce you to the moderator for today's event, Eddie Wagner. He will be um, leading the discussion on reinventing the employee experience. Eddie serves as the Executive Director and Digital Chief Information Officer at JLL, a global commercial real estate services and property investment strategies company. Eddie, thank you very much for moderating, and I will turn it over to you. Thank you, Sarah, and uh, thank you, David. I should uh, mention welcome to the JLL family from uh, to Building Engines. Uh, and as David said in the video, uh, our industry has historically lagged in our adoption and use of technology. But think about the tectonic shifts that we're seeing in our industry today due to the emerging hybrid and work from home strategies. Many organizations that we all work with or that you're working for are still uncertain as to how they'll manage the complexities of the return to the workplace and how it's going to impact their organizations from the physical space requirements to enhancing productivity to ensuring that occupants are safe, healthy, and most importantly, they're actually motivated to return to the office. Just yesterday, an industry thought leader whose 30-year career has been focused on helping Fortune 100s with their workplace strategies was quoted as saying, the future will be hybrid. With these new ways to work at scale, it will involve technology enablement. The workplace landscape will continue to evolve. We're now looking at workplaces that are 80 to 90% interactive and collaborative, 
it's technology enabled space and maybe has 10 to 20% individual workspace. So what does this mean for the office? We'll always need some office. The question is, what does some mean? Research is telling us a higher value office experience includes better amenities, better lighting, better air quality, better services, better technology, better views, and better transit. It's basically better everything. The question many employees will be asking though is, is my office commute worth it? Technology plays an integral role in creating the culture and experiences that will make your commute worth it. And today, we're going to hear from several industry thought leaders about some of the innovative and creative solutions they are bringing to create the compelling experiences we will all be looking for in our post-pandemic corporate offices and campuses. First, let me bring up our first speaker, Arjun Kaker. He's the co-head of Workplace Strategies for Zaha Hadid Architects. Arjun is an architect and workplace consultant with over 20 years experience. He specializes in innovative workplace design and technology, the business and the user needs evaluation, and most recently, AI-driven workplace optimization. And Arjun, I just learned that you were just published in an article for the World Economic Forum today, so very timely to have you give us your thoughts on this topic. Arjun? Hi, thank you very much. Um, it's great to be here today. I'm actually calling in from uh, from London, although normally I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia and in New York. Uh, there's a little bit of delay with my slides on my end, so I'm sorry if I keep on kind of pausing. So my name is Arjun Kaker. I'm co-head of Workplace at Zahadid Architects. Here are a couple of projects from Zahadid. On the left-hand side is uh, recently completed Beijing Airport, and the right-hand side is 1000 Museum Tower in Miami. Um, Zahadid is based in, in London, England, but works globally. And the uh, team that I co-head, the Workplace team, really works at the intersection of architecture and design, workplace strategy and increasingly technology, AI and analytics. And, and these are, uh, are becoming so fundamental to everything we do now. But really the center of all this is the employee experience. And I've been working in workplace consultancy and strategy for the last 20 years. I've been lucky enough to work on some fun projects like the Gherkin in London and uh, the Apple headquarters in in California when I was at uh, Foster and Partners. And now at Zaha Hadid, I'm working on projects, for instance, like Henderson in, in Hong Kong, which was the most expensive real estate, um, um, the most expensive plot of land that was ever sold. Um, and what I found, though, is that these last 18 months have been more exciting, more transformative in terms of workplace development than all the other 18 years before. It's a it's a very exciting time to be in workplace design and I think that there's huge potential for us to have much much better workplaces now and in the future. Two years ago pretty much to the day I um, did a uh, spoke at a conference and the topic was the workplace for future and these were the four key topics at the time that we were really starting to see emerging in high-end organizations and uh, what we've found then over the last two years is 
what's happened to these trends is they haven't gone away. In fact, they've become much, much, much more mainstream that everyone is doing these now. And they've been accelerated, they've been pushed to the forefront, and they've been um, magnified. So I just want to talk about each of them for just a minute each, really. So connection and collaboration, what we're seeing now is that that people are really realizing why they have workplaces, why they have to have physical workplaces, and it is to connect and to collaborate. It's to build relationships, it's for mentorship and continual learning, and it's to really build and sustain that culture and identity so important to the success of organizations. We as designers, though, also really have to focus even more now on balancing openness and separation in the hybrid space. And really curating collaboration, not just, I think in the past there was this idea that if you just put in a whole load of collaborative spaces, they'll work, people will talk to each other. But now the stakes are much higher because people aren't in the office so much. And we really have to focus those collaboration spaces, work out what's the best size, what's the best type, what's the best environment, and also where they should be located to be most effective within buildings. And it's also about the spaces between these collaboration zones as well, and the movement and flow between spaces where so much collaboration takes place. And then health and well-being has, of course, become so central to, um, to the workplace. It was becoming more and more important. People were realizing how important it was, how it really had an effect, how the workplace could really have a detrimental effect on people's uh, work experience and health. But now we're seeing, well, we've seen tr tragically over the last 18 months how internal environments can hugely affect people's health. And what we're now seeing is that people are focusing, the, the users, the employees are focusing so much upon the environmental quality of their buildings, they do not want to go into unhealthy buildings. And one of these things is about density. And we're seeing that there's really been a start, start to be a loosening up of density, so people aren't so crowded together. And also they've got amenities that are really supportive and really help their health and wellness. I think one of the key things is personal control, because of course people had that when they were at home. They could change their lighting, they could change their temperature, and they could have the most comfortable environment for them, and they're expecting that in the workplace now. And of course, things like being near a window. Suddenly uh, at home, they could always be by a window in the office, maybe they couldn't. So really having this access to views, access to nature, access to good daylight, people are realizing that they, they can demand this now. And spaces, we realize spaces have to be so much more flexible and adaptable and varied. So that they're not just, now there's no such thing as, as uh, one size fits all. That just won't work anymore in offices. And they have to be varied enough for all the different types of people in the office. So there aren't some people who don't feel comfortable coming back to the office and get marginalized because they want to stay at home. So really having an environment that's comfortable for everyone, that's, that has enough variety for everyone is so important. So it works with work style variety, lifestyle variety, and is user adaptable. 
and it's multi-purpose. We really need to work our buildings much more now. They can't just have, spaces can't have one purpose. They need a variety of them. They need to be rapidly responsive and ever evolving. And then finally, that we're seeing that we're starting to see technology with AI that is so exciting that the buildings itself can be responsive, predictive and self-evolving themselves. And we're able to use multi-layers of analytics, whether it's from sensors, from occupancy data, from staff feedback, and really be able to bespoke spaces and have them respond and be proactive and even be predictive. And finally, create a much more individualized environment for people that over time can be self-learning and actually can be a self-optimizing workplace ecosystem. Okay, well, um, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to uh, the uh, Q&A. And if, if, if there's uh, any questions now. Thanks, Arjun. And just a reminder for everyone, you can submit questions and comments in the Q&A section. We'll get to as many as we can uh, now, but also uh, we'll have the panel discussion in a bit. Uh, Arjun, I've got one that's just uh, come in that I think is very relevant. Uh, so let me read it here to you. Uh, for many employees, actually, I would say for, for all of us, one of the things most missing from the work experienced in the pandemic was serendipitous, informal, and unplanned encounters that contribute to sharing, innovation, sociability, and culture. In other words, when I walk down the hall to get coffee and I bump into you, that little informal conversation we have where we always learn something or, or talk about a client or you know, come up with a solution, can these encounters be designed and planned in our, in our new uh, hybrid environments? Absolutely. And they they have to be designed and planned now because they can't any longer be taken for granted that that uh, these encounters will happen. And I think that um, one thing is really making sure that uh, that the um, that the environment really um, maximizes the opportunities for interaction and really makes people in the mood to interact. So cold sterile environments for instance people are less likely to interact um, places where there are better views where there's good daylight where there's good acoustics so they can hear each other properly where there's great coffee in the coffee bar to entice them to go so really everything that's that, that's that's possible in terms of how you locate spaces so that that you are maximizing interaction points um, making sure that it's the nicest environment possible i think it's it, it's it was easy in the past just to say, well, if we put interaction spaces, people will use them. But I, but, but really, we have to be much more mindful. And I think one of the things is also really understanding who we want to interact with, with who more, and starting to to understand through um, how we place people in buildings, where we place departments, where we place teams, where we place individuals to really maximize their ability to interact with each other. And I know technology has come on massively in terms of that, in the kind of um, AI that can be used to, 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 to really help teams come together better. Um, and then I also think that, that it's not just about the serendipitous communication as well, it's about all types of interaction. That one of the things we've, we've found through this time is, um, with hybrid meetings, but it's not just the video that's so important, it's the audio as well. And people calling into spaces and not being able to hear their colleagues effectively, 
having um, just just having completely redesigning our meeting spaces for hybrid environments. Um, so yeah, I think we can certainly um, design and plan for uh, serendipitous communication. We can design much better for every type of communication and collaboration. And we have to, otherwise, what's the point of having our physical office? If we're doing collaboration badly in it, we might as well not have it at all. Great, uh, great question and great response. I've, I've got multiple questions coming in from the audience. I'm going to throw a couple more at you. Uh, and this, these are going to get a little more uh, technical. So you, you talked a lot about interaction. Here's one that's more of a technical interaction, if you will. Um, what are your thoughts on wireless HVAC and ventilation controls and how they are perceived? Um, I mean, it's not can, really my... Um, uh, I, it's, it's not really my specialist in that area. I, I wouldn't be able to give a, a, good, a good answer on that. But I, 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 I can say that anything that gives the user more more ability to interact with their with the comfort in their environment, whether that's through a smartphone app, whether they can individualize the 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 um, comfort levels around them, is a really big step in the right direction. And I think that, 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 that in terms of HVAC, in terms of temperature, we've been, we've, we've been living in workplaces for the last 50 years that have been completely biased against 50% of the population. They've been, the, the, the thermostat has been set at the, temper, at the metabolic rate of a middle-aged man. And, that's, that, and, and, and that ends up being, um, considerably lower temperature than most women find comfortable and actually is a temperature where women are less productive so we've got an environment that is biasing against 50 percent of the workforce and so being able to control the temperature control the environment more whether that's through apps um through what through through wireless communication with the um hvac at your local level that's got to be a good thing and I, and I love how you brought how we can use workplace to enable our diversity and inclusion efforts into the conversation without me asking or being prompted that's a a great point I, i'm going to bring that wireless question back when we get to the panel and i've got a couple of others that have come in but in the interest of time Let's go to the next panelist. I'll bring these others up when we bring you back, Arjun, a little later in the panel. Thanks for your thoughts and comments. And as we transition to the next panelist, we're first going to have a video from MRI. The role of the workplace is to drive collaboration, engagement, and business results. But with hybrid work schedules, shifting needs, and various health requirements, bringing employees together as a team is harder than it used to be. With MRI, you can bring people back to the office in a way that suits their needs and the needs of the business. Create a safe, flexible, and productive work environment with space planning and reservation tools that empower employees to make optimal use of your workplace. Control the flow of employees and visitors in and out of the office with solutions that give you a full view of who's on site and who's working remotely. Leverage technology to evaluate usage and business demand, optimizing your space 
and plan for the office of the future. Reinvent your workspace into a thriving workplace. Thanks, and joining us today as our next panelist from MRI is Andy Birch. Andy is the Vice President of Product Marketing for MRI. He's an experienced business software professional with a unique blend of marketing, technical, industry, product, and sales expertise. He's proven success in delivering sales and marketing through programs that achieve game-changing results. Andy, talk to us about the game-changing technologies that MRI is bringing to our new hybrid workplace. Thanks, Eddie, and uh, hi, everyone. Probably the most important part of my introduction is that I'm a, a fellow Office user from time to time, uh, using that Office in that hybrid, uh, flexible working way at, at MRI as well. So previously, I've talked on these uh, sessions about the demand for flexible space, and, and you kind of saw that in that video, and the demand for healthy space last time around, talking about kind of energy management and how we can better control energy use within the building. Uh, this time I want to talk uh, more specifically about the topic in hand, which is the employee experiences. So, you know, first thing to say is that, you know, no surprise, a happy workforce is a productive workforce. And that's what employers are trying to encourage is there are, is to ensure that their workforces are engaged, motivated, and uh, therefore productive. Um, what's interesting is that through the pandemic, uh, that has caused issue in terms of that productivity uh, from a company perspective, and obviously in terms of that uh, engagement and motivation uh, from an employee perspective. It was kind of interesting that, yeah, a number of kind of big high profile organizations switched to a remote only uh, uh, workforce very early on uh, in the cycle. What we've actually seen um, is a little bit of a pullback from that. I think, uh, Eddie, you touched on this earlier about that that motivation, that collaboration, the, the walking through the corridor, those ad hoc moments that, that really benefit the organization as a whole um, and really kind of add to that employee experience. So what, what we're seeing now, and this is a, this, uh, this chart you're seeing is a survey that MRI has con conducted um, over the past year. Uh, we've, we've, we've done it several times. We will continue to do it. So stay tuned for kind of further market insights from MRI um, about this uh, particular topic. But um, there's signs that definitely more and more uh, companies are switching to a hybrid uh, environment. Um, so, you know, the the obvious points from that is, okay, uh, the employer wants a hybrid environment and wants people, want people to come into the office, particularly for, for the, that communication, collaboration, team working um, within uh, the office. But what is the employee expecting? So some obvious points here about the general cleanliness and the health and safety uh, assurances of the office environment. These are all things that um, should be really provided through uh, your facility management capability as part of your integrated workplace management uh, solution. 
How do we ensure, though, that in that hybrid uh, environment, that those are handled successfully? Well, you know, certainly we, we can uh, schedule that appropriately. Uh, we have integration with the workplace management apps themselves. So, you know, you schedule an appointment for a meeting in one of your meeting rooms, it can automatically ensure that there's a, a 30 minute period, a 60 minute period, whatever it may need to clean that room effectively between sessions. Um, we can ensure that things like building uh, filters, air filter quality, that kind of thing are monitored. But we can also put some of that in the hands of the employee. And as you've heard from Arjun as well, you know, there's, there's a requirement there to actually personalize some of those services. And how do we do that? We do that through providing capability to the individual through apps for them to be able to access uh, some of those some of those features. And maybe that would involve setting the temperature control for, for their own kind of personalized environment. We'll also add that, you know, the other expectation is everyone's got kind of got used to working from home and the fact that they can literally step away from their desk and be in the kitchen within about 10 feet or they can uh, do other things that from their own personal requirements so maybe there's a need to improve office services as well to support that that might be amenities as it relates to the office and being able to get food delivered into the office maybe people have shut down the more the more kind of permanent facilities within the office building uh, but need some kind of food delivery mechanism or they need other services like dry cleaning or you know maybe they want the car washed in the car park below well you know how can you support that employee satisfaction well perhaps it's by providing an integrated environment for them to be able to request those services. And bearing in mind that many of you probably have started to uh, instigate uh, the fact that maybe someone needs to be fully vaccinated before they come into the office, or they need to have uh, a test, a COVID test, uh, before they're allowed in. How do you uh, apply that to um, other uh, companies that, that may be servicing your requirements. Well, having that kind of integrated app will allow you to, to more easily control who actually is allowed to come into the building, when they're allowed to come in, and so on. So, so that, that can help in that process. I think we're going to hear from others a little bit more about that space management capability. So I'm going to skip that for now. But generally speaking, what we're looking to do is to help automate some of that, that those mundane activities um, and to put that in place from a, um, a, an app integration perspective so that people uh, can, can more easily personalize it to, to their requirements. In terms of, um, so in terms of boosting um, that employee satisfaction, the other thing that you can do is to ensure that, that not only can they have access to that, but they can better communicate with the office uh, as a whole. So you can keep employees more uh, better informed about company-wide notices uh, and updates. 
and ensure that there's more conversation about what takes place in the office and how employees can be empowered to influence that. So I'm showing this quick uh, slide, which just talks about how you know an app, um, a, a rich app, can allow someone to communicate not just about whether you know the toilet is is blocked and needs fixing or the lighting needs needs changing, but as part of the more holistic management of your facilities uh, to put the tools in place um, so that you can continue to engage, motivate, and ensure that your employees are productive in that working environment. And with that, I'll just conclude with uh, a call to action, if you like, to look at how you can reinvent your workspace into that thriving workplace environment. Over to you, Eddie. Andy, thank you very much. And we're gonna have you back on the panel here in uh, a few minutes. And I've got some questions coming in that I'll save for the, the panel, sure. but uh, great uh, presentation. We're gonna go next to uh, Jania, but before that, Realcom's gonna play a video from Jania. Jania is a cloud-based software company and helps automate overtime HVAC requests. Our software physically plugs into the network of submeters and helps automate the reading of those submeters. And we also have access control. Our cloud-based solution physically plugs into your controllers and your readers and automates the adding or removing users, as well as now it enables you to use your phone as your credentialing device. Everything that we touch helps bring a better tenant experience without breaking the bank. We introduce Robert Vell, VP of Sales for uh, Genia. Robert has more than 20 years of experience selling software as a service, online marketing, demographic, and research services that have helped real estate agents, brokers, and owners conduct their business more efficiently. And Robert, as that video showed, I think you know, for so often many of us have thought about the IWMS technologies, or we'll call it laptop technologies, and we really need to do think to think about the technologies in the building that companies like yours bring and how we integrate with that to give us that better experience. I can't use that new office if I can't get into it with my access card. So talk to us about what you guys are thinking about and how you're rethinking our, our uh, new experiences. Wonderful. You know, thank you so much, Eddie. And thank you to RealCon for allowing us to be part of this panel. Um, so, as I said, my name is Robert Vale, Vice President of Sales here at Genia. Uh, we're talking about really you know, reinventing the employee access experience, so getting people back into the building and utilizing technology for that. So, um, so there's a lot of things to to consider when you when you look at this. So, one is you know, and, and this has already been talked about by the by the other panelists, is how do we really adjust to with with the hybrid experiences? So, you know, there's a Gallup poll recent that 54% of employees who work remotely at least some of the time say they want to ideally split their time between working at home and in the office. And personally, as you can see, I'm still here in my house. I think this is wonderful. Uh, yesterday I got to depart for a little while, coach my kid's soccer team, and it was a, it's a great experience. And I think more and more people have, have taken advantage of being home to be have more of that work-life balance. But what does this do to an, a building operator? It poses a lot of challenge because it means that things become unpredictable in the office. So if you look at a pre-COVID environment, you talk to any property manager or building engineer, 
they knew that Monday through Thursday, there is a certain occupancy level of people in that building um, every week, very, very consistently, year over year, that they could have this expectation of who's in the building. They knew that Friday is probably a little bit less or people depart a little bit earlier, but it allowed them to plan accordingly, planning janitorial services, planning catering services, planning events in the building, or just things that you have to manage or be aware of that could happen in a building at any time. Now, the current environment in this hybrid experience means that things are unpredictable. And so building operators have to adjust to this. And, and, and adjustment is hard because there's a, there's a number of issues when we, when we look at, you know, um, the industry. So one is uh, building preparedness. Uh, if you look at a, ma a, um, a large office building, how prepared are they really to adjust to this environment, whether it be HVAC controls or access and getting people into uh, to buildings in a touchless environment or being able to offer um, utilizing your phone to get through turnstiles and elevators uh, and all the way to the suite level. Not everybody is prepared for that. You know, when you look at overall security, understanding who's in the building when to understand potential security risk or people who should not be, you know, bad characters who should not be in the site. Uh, when you're off-site as well is, is, a, is, a no, is a very large challenge for a lot of building operators. And then just an overall lack of automation. So there's still a lot of manual processes when it comes to uh, managing commercial real estate. So we talk to property managers all the time who are still doing things via spreadsheets. And so that just, you know, that really means there's a lot of opportunity to utilize technology to make the overall experience better. So whether it be investing in uh, cloud-based access control solutions, being able to provide a mobile experience, whether it be for getting through doors or elevators, how do you bring in tools to help automate some of your processes that you're looking at? And of course, how do you take advantage of modern technology? So when you look at physical security access control, if you're a building operator, you probably have a basement where there's a server that's been there for 10 years and you know nothing ever changes with it. You know, how do we get rid of these old servers that are outdated that can crash and move to a, a more technology, um, uh, that cloud-based technology? So these are all things that we have to address. Um, and, it's, and it's really challenging, especially when there's a lot of companies out there providing various services. So the other, the other thing that you have to balance is which uh, technology providers can you work with uh, to take advantage of this? And some of the things that, you know, people just should just generally look at is, you know, how do I prepare for the touchless journey? How do I bring uh, people on site safely and in, in a way that they're comfortable with, obviously using modern technology? So, you know, so we're, we're very big proponents of utilizing a mobile experience. So offering credentials instead of having to have a form that you fill out to go get a white HID card. You know, can I do this on my phone? So can I provide a credential on somebody's phone? Can I automate the provisioning of that that allows you to get through uh, the parking deck, through turnstiles, through elevators, all the way to the suite? That's the ideal state. Now, of course, we do have to factor in how ready is the building to do this and how close to this can you get? So there's a lot of opportunity to invest in portions of this to make this really easier for, uh, for you to, to move there in the future. Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of great technology partners out there who can help you get to that spot. But you really got to think about where do you prioritize your time and your dollars? And, of course, you know, the other thing that we look at is how do you make people feel safe? So beyond just having uh, your phone, what other technologies can you put in place to really safeguard against the current environment? Uh, so there's features out there which um, would, that allow for pre-screening. So before employees can come on site or tenants can come to the building, there has to be a daily screening process where credentials are deactivated. You ask COVID-related questions. And either, these are all risk management, right? So it's to say, okay, we went through a screening process before somebody came on site to our building. 
if for some reason they um, they you know they contacted COVID at the site, I have some protection measures in place to show that we did do the best of our abilities to screen that person before they were on site. Allows for uh, for capacity planning, also allows for contact tracing. So these are all risk mitigation tools uh, that you can implement really easily through a lot of different software providers as well. And not just for the uh, the attendants coming back, but also for your visitors. How do you get visitors coming on site in a very safe manner? And one of the things you can do uh, is one is get rid of those papers uh, that you've had at the security desk forever and is really create a more of a touchless visitor uh, experience where visitors can pre-register before they come on site. They go through a screening process. They sign NDAs or liability waivers before they come onto your site. And then you can go a step further and issue a QR code so they can get through a turnstile or an elevator as a temporary credential, but in a very safe, safe, um, safe manner. Uh, so the goal here is really looking at you know physical security. How do you modernize it? How do you bring in an experience utilizing your mobile uh, your mobile phones? Uh, how do you put in prevention measures to make sure people are appropriately screened before they come into your building? Uh, and then how do you track that? And how do you document all that? Uh, and there's a lot of great technology providers out there who can help you as you prepare for this. But really, you know, do your job, navigate the the environment to figure out which parties you should partner with. And you know, of course, you know, they've got to understand commercial real estate and how an operator and an operator runs a building. Uh, and that's key to really the the the, the future in trying to prepare for this. So uh, it's continuously to evolve. We don't have all the answers, but uh, we hope we can help lead people in the right direction. So uh, with that. Thank you very much for your time. Um, Eddie, any questions? I'm happy to answer. Robert, thanks a, a lot for that. And you know, I, I'm in San Francisco for an event. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how so much of what I do to get around is through my mobile phone. But then going yeah. into the office, in some cases, we don't have that capability, even though we know the technology exists. So I love how uh, you're encouraging us to think beyond the way we've traditionally thought about technology. There is a question that came in from the audience that I, I think plays to that. Uh, how do you see these tools and, and tools like access control and, and visitor management complementing the existing tool sets of the property teams? Yeah, I, I really see them as really helping property teams become more efficient. So, so like I said, one of the challenges that property teams have is they're trying to figure out, okay, how many people are going to be in the building on a daily basis and to plan accordingly? And they've always done that by kind of being in the lobby. You see property teams walking around and you can't really do that anymore in this environment. And so by investing in technology like this, where uh, property management has a view of the people logging into the access control system, the door swipes or people pre-registering, it actually makes their job much more efficient because it allows them to plan. So it, it it's and you hear this all the time where property managers, you know, I, I see, you know, I talk to them all the time and they're at their house, but they're trying to figure out how many people are at the building today. So I know if there's a fire, like, you know, sometimes a literal fire in property manager, right? How do I get on site? How do I know where people are at? How do I manage it safely? And so, so the technology just really complements what they're trying to do and makes them more efficient. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what we've seen. And that's what we hear from the customers too. Great. I've got one more question. Um, maybe it sounds a little self-serving. This questioner says traditionally access control responsibilities are relegated to IT people. Hey, and I think we've done a good job. But they're saying, why should property managers be more attuned to access control options? Sure. Um, and we actually have some real customers who, who told us that over the years, they never had any visibility to the actual access control system. So what would they get asked by the tenants? Because the tenants will always come to the property manager and say, hey, 
we're trying to get a log of how many of our employees are actually badging it. And can you run us a report? And it was always kind of like, well, I can't. Let me find somebody who can do it, and it's out here. And I just don't know what type of data is in there. Uh, when you have a cloud-based solution that exposes that to property managers, property managers can now say, oh, I see how many people are coming in. I can also see if tenants are deactivating users from our system. So I know if there's potentially risk for a tenant leaving the building in the future, or if they're not coming in at all, like do I have to help plan accordingly for the upcoming budget that a tenant may, uh, may leave the facility? And so these are just gives them different insight by having the data available to them, which, like I said, when it was on a server or, you know, in a different security room, they just didn't have that visibility and didn't know how to utilize the data. So we're, it's opening a new uh, new world for them. Excellent. Well, Robert, we're going to bring you back in a few minutes along with the other panelists and a reminder to the audience, continue submitting your, your questions and comments in the Q&A. As I, I mentioned at the end, we're going to bring everybody back and we'll get to uh, as many of the questions as we can. Before we go to our next panelist, though, we're going to play another video. Today, workplace leaders like you are in a tough spot. You're facing tension between managing real estate costs, ensuring employee well-being, and finding ways to make sure everyone has the right space for the right activities. Your decisions can be make or break. At Locati, we want to help you get the insights you need for those decisions. So we built a solution that can take data from your existing infrastructure and give you a clear picture of your portfolio, buildings, floors, and spaces. With views of workplace occupancy, ways to gain efficiency, and places to cut costs, you can make workplaces serve your people better, ensuring both productivity and cost savings. Plus, Locati needs nearly no setup time to deliver insights fast without extra maintenance expenses. In over 60 countries, companies are already using Locati to make the right decisions backed by numbers and confidence. Join them today and know you're making all the right moves. And our next panelist from Locati is Matt Goyola. Matt helps lead North America sales for Locati from their New York City headquarters and has over eight years of experience delivering transformative software solutions for global enterprise customers, helping executives like in our audience at some of the world's largest organizations bring data into their decision-making process. Talk a lot about technology, Matt, but unless you're getting the data out of it to make decisions, you're not going to get the full value of your investment. So talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at Locati to help us with our new hybrid world. That's exactly right. Thanks, Eddie. Um, yeah, so we are, we're an occupancy and utilization tool. So the folks that we're talking to um, have large portfolios and they're seeing, you know, the need to change, make changes, whether that's in the size of their portfolio or the layouts within individual buildings. Um, so we're helping to deliver data to make those decisions. Um, just a couple of, stats here. The, the point of these three numbers are just that um, hybrid is is here to stay. So employees want to have the ability to get in an office. They don't want to be at home full time. Companies want people in buildings. They don't want them working from home forever. Um, and there's been a lot of consolidation over the past year in the, in the conversations that we're having. Um, you know, they're continued efforts to consolidate portfolios into 2022. A lot of it has been done, but um, you know, lease expirations come up at different times. So having the, 
data to make uh, a decision on whether to renew that lease or end it um, at expiration is important. So uh, that's kind of what we're focused on. The first four bullets here are what we talk to most everyone about. So consolidation, again, finding opportunities to um, lower your footprint in certain cities, changing the layouts of your buildings. So, um, you know, having hoteling models and having different areas designed for people to collaborate, um, having areas that are more spaced out than they were before, and making decisions um, about those portfolios using data. Desk booking validation is something we're, we're seeing a lot. So um, most everyone that we talk to now has some sort of uh, booking tool in place. If they didn't have it before, they, they got it uh, over the past year to help people feel comfortable coming into buildings and knowing they have somewhere to go. Um, so the other piece of that is the desk booking tool is great for the employees to feel comfortable, but for the corporate real estate team, you're not necessarily getting actual utilization from that. You're getting intent. So if someone wants to come into um, a conference room or wants to come in to use a specific desk, but um, what are they actually doing? Are they actually coming in? And when they do come in, are they sitting in that seat they booked or are they using the meeting room to its full capacity? So when we talk about desk booking validation, that's really seeing what's being booked as compared to what's actually being used within each building. Uh, compliant safe workplaces, we had a lot of focus um, earlier in the year on trying to make sure that buildings didn't exceed specific target utilization rates. Um, that kind of, uh, it, it's kind of shifted. People are having more trouble getting folks in buildings than they are trying to prevent target levels from being breached. Um, but with a tool like Locate, you're able to see exactly how many people are coming in a building during the day to make sure that you're not uh, over overly dense. I'll give just a quick overview of kind of what, what tools you'll see in the market. There are hardware solutions. So those are your sensors. They can be um, through your lights. They can be people counters and meeting rooms. Those are really good for tracking individual spaces. So for that meeting room example, you have a 10 person meeting room and you want to see if 10 people are using it or if one person's sitting in there, that's a really good opportunity for a sensor. Things like phone booths, you want to see if an individual phone booth is being used or a specific desk in the corner of a floor. Those are all really good opportunities for sensors. Everyone that we work with, they have sensors somewhere. The other side of the market are um, software solutions, which is what Locate is. So every software solution is going to use your existing IT infrastructure, meaning your Wi-Fi or your Ethernet, to capture occupancy. So when you look at um, putting together a strategy to understand your entire portfolio, you're going to need a combination of the two of these things, a hardware solution and a software solution, to be able to capture occupancy and utilization on an entire floor and across different types of buildings in a portfolio. I know I'm, I'm close on time, but something like this is a good place to start. So understanding your use cases, if consolidation is a goal, um, you, you might be able to get away with just a Wi-Fi software-based solution to see at a high level how buildings and zone with, zones within buildings are being used. 
if you're trying to optimize meeting rooms, again, that's a good place for a sensor. So starting with the use cases and then backing into what type of hardware or software you need to capture that occupancy data, that's kind of how we, we think about having these conversations. I think I went a minute over, but I'm happy to answer any questions. Thanks a lot, Matt. I do have one question. I think maybe we can uh, get a, a quick answer and then do more on the panel. And this is a question everybody in the audience, everybody I talk to is asking, but from your viewpoint of, of data, it'd be interesting to get your perspective. How have you seen real estate portfolios evolve over the past year? What's the data telling and what are you guys seeing? Yeah, so again, I mean, consolidation is obviously something that everyone's talking about. Um, so uh, the the people that we talk to generally have a half million square feet or more in their portfolio. It's always, you know, a handful of buildings, mostly global portfolios. So it definitely changes by by region, by country. Um, but but we're seeing obviously, uh, you know, hybrid hybrid models, and with that comes normally less square footage. So being able to understand exactly what's being used and then, um, you know, cut it down where you can. I think you're making the, the case for one size fits one and why it's so important to have the data that you need to design the workplace that you need. Matt, we're going to bring you back in just a few minutes. All of our panelists up to this point, we've talked about, you know, the software and the, and the data and the tools that you should be using, that you could be using. Now we're going to bring up a panelist where the proverbial rubber meets the road. What are they doing right now in their portfolio? What are they seeing with their portfolio? And how is their portfolio thinking changed during the pandemic? Joining me now is Allison Kwiatkowski. Um, Allison is the vice president and America's business partner for Deutsche Bank. Uh, she represents all of their service lines under global real estate within the region for the bank's 3 million square foot portfolio, including transactions, project delivery, facilities management, engineering, and client services. Uh, Allison is going to be, uh, she's with us. You won't see her on, on camera during the presentation. Um, and then Allison, when you come uh, after you finish your presentation, we'll have some questions. And I've known you for a long time, so I'm sure you're going to give us some real world feedback on some of the things that, uh, that we've talked about and said. So I look forward to that. Allison? Thank you, Eddie. Um, so today, I thought it'd be best to focus on one particular project of Deutsche Bank, and this is our new America's headquarters at Columbus Circle, which we delivered during the pandemic, because I think this is just a perfect case study for all that's been discussed so far, so far and reflecting on especially some of the themes that Arjun spoke about. Um, so before I begin, two quick ground rules. First, the opinions expressed are of my own and don't necessarily represent the views of Deutsche Bank and any remarks made are subject to public disclosure without review, notification or context. Apologies, just kind of housekeeping from my compliance team. Okay, all right, let's jump in. So if I can get to the next slide. So DB has uh, commenced our move into our America's headquarters starting in September, 2021. We are still in the middle of moves. Every Monday we move about 400 to 500 people. And this is part of the rebranding of the Time Warner Center um, located at the southwest corner of Central Park to the Deutsche Bank Center. Very big step for the bank. Um, the lease for the building was signed in 2018. Construction began at the end of 2019. Obviously COVID hit, but we continue to charge forward with our fairly aggressive schedule and um, completing construction as we complete our migration 
at the end of February 2022. So we have about 5,000 headcount moving into 4,200 seats. So obviously practicing that hybrid working. 1,400 of those work points are trading. Definite challenge to hybrid working. And we have about 1.1 million square feet of this much larger mixed-use campus. So we have retail below us, condos and hotel space above us, jazz at Lincoln Center punching right through the center of our space. Um, very interesting um, challenges for designing a trading floor. And the base of our building actually spans about two city blocks by two city blocks. So massive floor plates. Uh, given how important this project is for Deutsche Bank to demonstrate our commitment to America's, particularly New York being the financial capital of the world, we were very, very careful and very intentional at each stage. Um, and we want to make sure we did not lose the vision or the greater mission of the project. So to encapsulate that, I just wanted to share our statement of intent. And I won't read it word for word, but um, as you can see, it is all about putting people first, being more innovative and productive. Um, a lot of the, the themes that Arjun spoke about as far as having something that's sustainable and reliable and allows for those serendipitous connections and a very intentional design to build this platform for the bank um, to be a modern forward-looking institution. And in the middle of that, you see that hashtag no excuses. That is something we reminded our team of daily, despite what COVID brought. And um, I believe we, we've delivered on this. So it translated into um, attention on creating a flexible workspace, enabling it by technology to support that hybrid working, making sure that every, absolutely everything we do is backed by data so we can both demonstrate that it's working or not working and prove to our stakeholders where we are along the journey and this attention towards health and wellness and sustainability. And um, by sustainability, I mean the broader sustainability, not just you know engineering on the ground, but how do you create a truly living, breathing workspace? So here is a preview um, into that delivered space. So these are from September. Um, so these are indoor amenities. The amenities floors are all built around a sky lobby, providing a place for um, our clients and our employees to eat and drink and relax. They connect to our terraces, which I have a few photos of later, um, and access to client dining rooms, our cafe, multi-purpose spaces, because we wanna make sure we are as flexible as possible. We have a staff lounge with a pool table and a ping pong table trying to be as edgy as we can for a financial institution, um, given that we are European banks. So we always seem to be a little bit a step ahead of our peers. Um, and a coffee bar with coffee points um, with local high quality coffee roasters. We have the surplus work points so anyone can work anywhere in the building. We're all on laptops, um, dedicated bike storage, showers, health center, tech lounge. We have mother suites that are proper mother suites, multi-faith rooms that are proper, you know, with foot washing stations and shoe storage. And it's, it's definitely taking everything we always say as a bank that we want to do to support our employees and really like pushing it to the limit of everything we're doing, even down to the, our rooms are named refl reflecting the New York ethnic enclaves of the diversity of our staff. So everyone has a room where they say like, this is me, I am represented here in this building. And that's been one of the most fun parts is you just see people really feed into that and take pictures through the space. And it's it's been very cool. And we have the apps for our food services and our desk reservations and our wayfinding. So everything is technology tied. Um, going to our next one, here is a view of our workplace and our trading floors. Trading floors on the left side, obviously 
quite a grand space. Um, so these are the old CNN studios that we flipped. Looks very, very different from when um, Anderson Cooper was there. Um, but all of the workspace floors are built with state-of-the-art technology. Everything's height adjustable. It's designed to our digital workplace standards. We have interconnecting stairs where we can for those um, you know, casual collisions. We have a very cool concept on our trading floor specifically, which you can see just the corner of in the center of that photo where we have um, all of our amenities up on a mezzanine overlooking the trading floors. So it's a whole nother layer of that connection between staff. So as you're having your coffee, you're kind of overlooking the team working away and doing their trades. And we have um, right in the back of that photo, you can see 20 foot tall green walls. We have underfloor air with individual vents. So people have control over their immediate space. And of course, by pulling everything into the center of the space, the um, as far as those enclosed structures like private offices and meeting rooms, the light just pours into the space. Um, What's behind me when I took this photo is also a 20-foot floor-to-ceiling uh, view of Central Park, so that's not too shabby as well. And everything's designed to flex, so meeting um, offices can go to meeting rooms, vice versa. Everything's on arms, so it can um, flip and turn, and um, that it's an equal playing field whether you're in the office or out of the office and you, you're dialed in virtually. Uh, last slide I just want to share was a few photos of our outdoor terrace. Um, three terraces in all can accommodate 700 people, two specifically for staff so they don't get bumped when a client's in town, one specifically for clients, and it's this place to mentally reset, socialize, and experience, of course, all of the beauty of our location being at Columbus Circle and right on the corner of the park. So COVID, of course, tailored but did not materially change our plans. Um, I think it just furthered our drive to uh, create a workspace that delivers an experience that staff can't get at home um, between our technology, our amenities, our focus on um, this health and wellness of our staff um, and this work anywhere opportunity. We truly want to make this a destination and it's, it needs to be a reason to bring people back to the office or they won't, they won't come back to the office. So uh, we feel that our headquarters is a space that staff are proud of and supports that culture that we are we're trying to push through as we return to the office. Sorry for the whirlwind tour, Eddie. Hopefully that, that gives you a good view into our space. View, I'm wanting an invitation now. Great. <laughs> you uh, are always welcome to visit. We're, you can easily find us, we stand right out. Be careful, I might show up tomorrow. No, just incredible <laughs> pictures. And you, know, you started out by saying, um, with your compliance statement that this was your opinion and then in your mission statement it was about people first and so you know yes. we're moving away from it's about the building or it's about the bank or it's about jll and it's what do the people want our own global research is saying we need to understand why people liked working from home and figure out how we replicate that in the space if we want them to come back and i think your pictures showed that but i, I want to ask how did you get the feedback from your people on what they wanted and what's their response upon seeing the space? Um, so we uh, we spend a ton of time around this because if it's not what people want, it's not going to work. So we've done focus groups and we have workplace champions. We have over 100 workplace champions that represent all the business lines at all levels of business line. Um, we have a monthly stakeholder management with all of our COOs of the different business lines. So there are about 20 of those. So everything we do, every step of the way, we check in with the businesses and we're like, is this working? Is it not? Can we give you a survey? Can we, can we hear more? 
Um, and it's been really well received. You know, there's always the hesitation of getting back that, that first commute. And then people get there and they see their colleagues and it feels, you know, it feels like you're home away from home and it's just been very, very well received. So um, we, you know, we keep, and with each move, we keep kind of holding our breath of will staff come back and people are just really excited to be together again. So we're very happy. Excellent. We're going to bring others back in just a moment. But before we do that, I'll remind the audience before I ask Allison one more question. You can give us a, a Q&A that we'll ask the panel in just a moment. But uh, Allison, and it may be too early uh, for you to see this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We're all talking about the war for talent to retain our top talent. But also, as, as more and more companies are going hybrid, that opens up opportunities to attract talent that perhaps before we could not have attracted. Are you seeing that uh, new talent is being attracted to the bank based on the physical location in the space, or is it too early to tell? Um, we feel that, you know, it's it's a little early, but we just see from the the pride exuding from staff and the fact that I mean, we're giving tours every day because everyone wants to show their, you know, their colleagues and friends and family, you know, this space, if you, if you are on LinkedIn, it's been all over LinkedIn that people are just like so excited um, to be back that I, I think it will, well, we, and we give our peers tours all the time and you can tell that there's, there may be feeling, you know, that this is a space that's really stepped up in the industry. So our fingers are crossed um, that that will be the case. And, you know, I think that last statement as we uh, bring the panel back is what's going to be key for everyone in our audience and for all of us. We've got to keep up with what others are doing. That's why panels like this are so important and, and the, the real calm sessions, because the, the competition, the ability to attract talent is going to be driven in large part by what those of us, uh, those around us are doing to attract and retain their talent and attract and retain uh, our talent. And so I think workplace will be a new differentiator in the technology and data, the way that we use that will help us make sure we're making the right decisions. As we bring our, our panel back, a reminder to, to ask a Q&A as we go, and I will start as the panel's coming back on their uh, webcam, a fairly long question. Um, I'll give it to the team and I'll actually give my thought first and then invite others. Uh, so from the audience, tens of millions of square feet of office structures greater than seven floors are located in urban cores throughout the world. The environmental cost alone to demolish and replace them is unconscionable to even consider. Isn't it time to begin envisioning renovation strategies that convert these office structures into micro neighborhoods? And there's some additional, I'll, I'll jump over that, but they're giving examples of offices, living, school, um, medical, dental care that's non-emergency. Um, we could do various types of product design and development, including fabrication, 3D printing, et cetera. Net result would be to transform the urban core into vibrant communities. So I'll share with you, I'm actually in San Francisco uh, to present to a major CIO group on the topic of sustainability. One of the other, we could do a whole webinar um, on sustainability and the opportunities around the workplace and technology. JLL has a stated position that to meet our targets, we've got to transform our existing buildings. We've got to do the work and, 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 and what we, the existing stock, 
as well as anything new that we build that we use new sustainable practices and that we're bringing technology and data to the forefront there's actually a um, white paper that we've just produced that talks about how to uh, transform uh, your sustainability efforts through technology and data so i would uh, agree with the questioner's comment um, not only should we not uh, demolish we actually have a, a moral imperative to renovate those but open it up to the the panel uh, and Allison, I know you're still with us. So um, anybody want to give an, a, a thought on that or a, a perspective? Yeah, um, I mean, it's something we've been talking about a lot at Zaha Deeds, and, and I've been talking with a lot of other architects about. Um, I think one of the main things is not to, for a start, not to make the same mistakes that we did in the past when we're building new buildings. So one thing we do is, is we do a lot of test fits when we design new buildings, but not just test. So if say it's an office building, well, what we do is we test fit other environments into it. So we have a look, What it could it be converted to residential? Could it be converted to a completely different type of office space? Could it be converted to retail? And just by drawing that out and looking at it and saying, okay, well, actually the cores are in the completely wrong place. It works okay for offices, but it would be impossible to work at something else. Or the ceiling heights, or where the ducting is, or where the fire escapes are. Just by spending that bit of time at the beginning of the process, running different scenarios, can mean that we can build, we can build buildings which will be much more flexible in the future. Because we don't want to be building just for day one. We don't even want to be building just for day thousand. We want to be able to build buildings that can continually adapt and over time. So I think that's the first step. Of course, it can help us with the buildings that are already there. Um, but I think that when we're doing, when we are doing refurbishments, at, um, just looking at how we can design those in a flexible way with movable partitions, for instance, that, um, that, have, um, that have the ability to kind of convert themselves over time, but we don't need to rip everything out to be able to convert it to a different type of, of um, building. So anything we can do that, that kind of minimizes the amount of change that's necessary and the amount of construction waste that goes on is gonna be a good thing. I think we gotta think about it in every building built from now on. Carmen Arjun, um, as you were talking, <clears throat> I was reminded of the work. Um, JLL has been doing work with MIT where they have a real estate innovation lab where they are looking at technologies around sustainability. And there are um, some fascinating concepts they're thinking about. Um, and I would encourage people, it's actually free for anyone in the industry to go and just look at some of the technologies they're predicting to inform your thinking. And, and Allison, I think um, the space that you just showed us, that's reusing and recreating an old space. She specifically referenced the transformation of the, the CNN studio and, and, and the living wall. So I think that uh, is a good example. Others, or I can go to the next question. Yeah, and I can just add to that. So for us, it when we walked the space, you know, it was just these giant studio boxes and it, you know, to see how it transformed and we to Arjun's point, it wasn't a full gut. I mean, of course it 
there was a substantial amount of work done, but things like that mezzanine space, that was all existing. And you just, you just need someone with a good eye to be able to envision that. And um, I, think, I think there's a huge future in that repurposing space. Sounds like you need to get Anderson Cooper back up there to show what he could have had had he had you designing a space versus uh, the CNN studio. <laughs> Going to jump to a, a question um, that, that um, came in earlier, and it's all around screening of people. And the question is, how do you do biometric screening of people prior to entering a building and then tracking and heat mapping after they enter the building? So, I mean, from a from an I'll just comment from an MRI perspective. Recently, you know, um, we've held a number of kind of conferences ourselves, our own hosted conferences, where we've done screening at the, um, at, at the entrance to the premises and, and used our own kind of solution in terms of uh, performing like the COVID kind of questionnaire as they enter the building and. And our clients are using it for for their businesses as well. And the question it really is, um, what is the objective of the ongoing tracking of that employee? And you know, is there an expectation that that person is is going to dramatically change, or are you using the heat map in order to, to support uh, other other purposes? I mean, part of this is is really about there's a number of different technologies that you can do in terms of tracking of people within within a building. It might simply be that you're doing it through some kind of smartphone application that's tracking where they are uh, with, within the, the within the building and using things like geofencing if it's really from a, a safety and security perspective. So you need to understand really what the what the objectives are of, of actually performing that task, because the reality is, if someone's actually performed like a, let's say, a negative COVID test, they've passed in terms of the heat checking at the initial entrance to the, to the building. There's probably little benefit in ongoing heat mapping, other than uh, showing kind of real time density or something within the building of those people and looking at it from a maybe a foot traffic perspective maybe in a shopping mall or, or something like that so what are you trying to achieve and then i guess we can provide a, a solution for it i started out earlier talking yeah. about we need to think beyond and expand our thinking and i just um andy while you were talking i looked at our uh, uh one of our sponsors building engines website and I was actually shocked at the number of COVID tracking things that they tell you you should be thinking about and opportunities to use technology. So uh, you can just Google building engines COVID tracking and the page that I hit should pop up. But uh, even just being in the industry and being around this for two years, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So it's a great question. A lot to think about. Robert, you were going to also share? Yeah, I I was just say we get we get asked regularly about you know tracking beyond just physical you know people getting through doors right how do we track um, beyond that where they're physically at in the site and you know one of the big things that we look at are, are density sensors door sensors so you can see who's walking through doors and have that all integrated back to the access control system so I can really see where does somebody actually go 
Um, and so th that's one of the things that we're exploring as we advance the technology is who to partner with and who to recommend to the building operators to work on that. Uh, in terms of kind of the biometric screen, it was really early on in the pandemic when things were shut down, everybody was like, okay, we need to be able to see somebody's temperature as they walk into the building and they walk through a heat map. And, you know, there's a, in, in theory, it's great, but there's a lot of challenges in that, right? If it's a hot day or you're late to a meeting, you're running, your body temperature is automatically elevated. Or if you're nervous before an interview, your body temperature is elevated. So, so things like that, I think early on, it was like, okay, we need to put these in place. I don't think it's as necessary these days, um, but do understanding where people are, how many people are on there so that you can plan accordingly is, is important. And I think we'll see that trend uh, continue in the future. The other thing and is you guys just, work. Go ahead, Allison. Oh, apologies. Just to add, um, what I think is interesting of seeing, understand, uh, understanding the path through the building is seeing why people are coming in. Like, what is the draw and how can you look at that? If people are coming in and it just seems like they're gravitating towards, you know, the giant amenity spaces, then you can start to look at are the workspaces designed properly? Are they oversized? Or are they just not giving people what they need? And or the you know the vice versa as far as what what's taking off and what what is that destination to what was um, referenced earlier versus you know might not be serving you and especially if you're you have an urban location where real estate costs are quite high. What jumps out at me listening to all of you and I, I held up my mobile device earlier. There's an opportunity when we think about experience and you know Allison brought up people first you know, the, the touchless access, but then how do we communicate to them? How are they enabled if they see something to report it to us through the work order technology? So it really makes the case for mobile experience technology, but also the integration of what everybody on the panel has to offer and all the other great technologies that are out there so that the end user, our people have that endless, uh, seamless experience, if you will. And then to make sure we're collecting the the data, as Matt pointed out, so that we can make those decisions, or as Allison pointed out, understand how people are actually using the space. Let me jump. I'm going to bring back that question. Go ahead, Andy or Arjun. Yeah. So I mean, I was just, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Just um, um, just really following what Allison was saying about being able to uh, see what place people are using in the building through heat mapping or, or occupancy sensors can be so useful in terms of optimizing the design over time and being able to look at say you might have 20 30 meeting rooms you might have a number that are the same size and are fitted out the same way and certain of those meeting rooms are really popular and others are not and so being able to dig dig a little deeper and go okay so why are those ones less popular maybe they're ones which are internal and don't have windows Maybe there's something with the uh, temperature in them. Maybe there's um, just the fact that they're hidden away a bit. And we can start to really kind of calibrate the design over time to start to kind of iron out some of those things so that all the meeting rooms are in good locations. And we, the same, we can see the same with desking. Not just looking at, okay, we've got a 60% occupancy. We might find we've actually got a 90% occupancy in certain areas and a 30% in others where there's uh, activity-based working and we can say okay what's gravitating people to those spaces and not to those others and that can give us real clues over time how we can really optimize and enhance the design so it's not just the design is day one but with all these sensors and with this ability to see how people are using spaces it can 
it can evolve on a I mean it could be over you know each weekend something little changes and what's cool there is someone who's not been in there for six months might come back in and it's a completely different looking workplace but someone who's there every week they don't even notice the changes because it's just an evolution it's not the kind of the sudden huge fit out where there's massive disruption it's much more subtle got a trick question that just came in we're talking a lot about how we use the data and understand how people are using the space to make the changes in the space to optimize it. Um, but this is a space in the building that if you think about it, it's always a little uncomfortable moment. It's even more uncomfortable now. And I'm talking about elevators. How do you maintain comfortable density in elevators? It's not like we can change the size. And I just had an experience the other day where got in the elevator and somebody said there's too many of us in the elevator and talk about discomfort as the door closes. What are you guys thinking about that? How can we use technology or data or Allison or, or others? Is it just policy and communication and awareness? I think many elevators these days, particularly in, in your kind of, in your modern kind of skyscraper um, programmed to only work to go to certain floors. In fact, when you get in the elevator itself, you might actually have to, you know, put in your key card or or use your your mobile phone to get access to a particular uh, uh, floor. So I think there's maybe just a, a little bit more sophistication required around the programming of that. So so basically, they only serve certain floors or or, or whatever, so that it's actually you you you're you're kind of naturally kind of restricting who's likely to get into that elevator. And going back to Arjun's point and Alison's point is, is to using the, the solutions to do a little bit more homework around what the kind of likely traffic is and, and, where, and where they're going to. And so that, you know, the elevator technology can be, can be programmed to help reflect that and help control that density. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at modern elevators, right, you have destination dispatch, which allows you to really lock down who's allowed to go to which cabs, you lock down floors further, but it's a very costly uh, business proposal to upgrade a building to have DD enabled. Um, and, and, but that is something you can factor in. You can use access control to lock down which floors people are able, you know, able to go into, but, but elevators are weird in general, you know, even pre-COVID, Anybody's ever, you know, go in elevators regularly, you just stand there, you look forward, you try not to talk to anybody as it is. And, you know, that's just not really changing with this environment. Like, I, unless I know you, I don't want anything to do with you when I'm in an elevator. I'm like going up and I'm getting out. And that's kind of how it's always been. And so, I, I mean, we've, we've elevated this because of, because of COVID, but it's, you know, that's still not going to change is, you know, your general unwillingness to talk to people in an, in an elevator is, is never going to change. <laughs> What we're Maybe finding is a lot more um, yeah. staircases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are asking us to design a lot more um, connecting stairs because people are really pretty happy to walk up or down two flights of stairs. So what we're seeing in really it, in a lot of tall buildings now is is um, having these um, um, kind of zones where you have a four floor block that maybe five, four floor blocks that each have connecting stairs. So people are just not using the lift so much. They still have to use the elevator to get up to the 16th floor, 
that when they want to see someone on the 18th floor or on the 14th floor, they can just use those connecting stairs and that can make a big impact. It's also much better for, for, for people's health to have that bit of activity. They're moving around more, they're seeing people. People do stop on the stairs to talk to people, which they don't do in an elevator. So it, it could be really beneficial. Alison, I know in your redesign, you, you mentioned as you were showing us the pictures that you've put in staircases where you can. Do you find that people gravitate toward those versus the elevator? And is that addressing part of the problem the questioner asked? A hundred percent. And we, we focused on having very ornamental architectural feature stairs, right? So it becomes that point that, that people want to use over the elevators. And it's, it's proved very successful. It's, um, it, it adds a different level of connection and it, it also kind of wakes people up, right? It, it gives them a little bit of like a physical and a mental um, jolt. So uh, it's something that we try and focus on when we can. Obviously, um, it, sometimes it's too costly to do, but it's it's definitely a theme through all of our um, projects whenever we can uh, deliver on that. Excellent. Got a question, and I think this is actually from my CISO because I got a, a note about it, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask some type of data privacy security question, and uh, you guys alluded to it a little bit earlier. So here's the question. Are you how are we navigating the need to maintain user privacy as these tracking tools become more and more robust and effectively live with the users at home as well as in our new hybrid workplaces? And specifically, when a user's phone is the beacon for generating these types of data. So share with us some, some thoughts about how we're actually protecting the end user's privacy and using the data only for what we say we are going to use it for. I guess because I do physical security, I probably need to address this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, well, part of the way that we look at the, some of the data, right, is one is, is the, the bifurcation of data, especially when you look at tenants. Um, so all our data in our database is separated each individual tenant. So tenants could not see each other's data to see who's coming in. Um, when you look further, is what do we actually collect uh, from a phone? It's, you know, when you go into a building after hours and you have a badge, regardless of it's a physical or mobile badge, like you're you're letting the building operator know that you're allowed, they're allowed to track you coming into that site because that key card is physically assigned to you. Uh, or you go in any part in there that's locked down, that, that's allowed to be tracking that. Now, what do we do with that is a whole different experience. Uh, you know, we we provide all that information. It's back to the building team. It's their it's their information. The tenant data is their information. When you look at beacons or uh, density sensors, it's all anonymized data, um, and, and it's still but it's still tr tricky no matter what. Because and the thing with our phones, right, is if you're logged in, if you use Facebook or you use Instagram, they're tracking everything you do and selling advertising back to you and other things besides just tracking what we do when you walk into a building. So we're constantly giving up our privacy anyways by having those phones enabled to do anything. Um, and so it's, I think there is responsibility on us to make sure we use the data appropriately. We're GDPR compliant. Yeah, we have, we're SOC 2 compliant. So we have all these you know, things in place to secure the data as much as possible. Um, but then this comes down to a business case of how do you really manage that? So it's, uh, I, there's not a perfect answer because this is continuously evolving in, in terms of how we, how we manage data. I think you hit a, a great point about the way, and, and I often tell people I will give up. Gonna hold it up again, guys. I'm, I, I'll give up 
um, you know, information about myself or my location if I perceive that I'm getting a benefit in return for that, the benefit that I want. And we've talked a lot within JLL and with a lot of our partners about making sure we communicate to people the benefit they will receive if we do something. And, and we're staying away uh, from, you know, using that data to market to people. If, if I use Allison as an example, if she said, Eddie, bring me some technology into Deutsche Bank, she's not going to let me market to her employees in Deutsche Bank. It's, it's I'm providing a service to her and, and what she does from there. So I think, um, you know, if you're in real estate, it's understanding the technology and communicating to your people exactly what they are signing up for and, and what they can expect and then sticking to it. Allison, how are you finding, I mean, Deutsche Bank is, a, you know, part of a very regulated industry, um, banking, financial sector, led the rest of us in many ways on uh, data privacy, data security, and have for years. How are your people reacting to some of the new technologies that you've introduced? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's been a lot of change management. Uh, not only are we in the financial world, but we're a German bank, and the German Workers' Council is probably as sensitive as you could get around employee data protection. Um, so we we over communicate. That's always kind of our go to. Um, and we we let people understand what the data is for and how it can help them. And I think that's the the key piece is if people understand what is the business case and how does how does this ultimately help them have a better work experience? Usually people are more understanding, but again, everything is anonymized. We we capture from a, a real estate perspective, at least I can speak for my world. We capture nothing individual to the employee because it is such a sensitive area. Allison, any closing thoughts before I hand it back to Sarah to close us out? Um, it's just, it's very exciting to always see what the new developments are. It's clear that COVID has, you know, put this whole world on steroids and a lot of the conversations we were having two years ago of, will this ever work? You know, we're there and now everyone's looking to what's um, five years ahead. So it's, it's a really exciting time to be in our industry on both sides of it, both the provider and the user side. I agree, Allison. And I would say I, for me, a benefit of my role is getting to hear from so many companies about what they're thinking, but in turn, they want to hear from others. They want to know, for example, what Allison has done and what everybody around them has done to inform their thinking. Every time I come to one of these and hear Robert, Andy, Matt, Arjun, and others talk, I learn something new or I think something differently. And so I think that's the power and the value of forums like this. And I would encourage everyone as we go through 2022, there will be continuing challenges as we rethink our workspaces. We'll probably get some more challenges thrown in that we aren't even suspecting or expecting. And the opportunity to share in these forums and learn from each other will be critical to our success. Thank you, Robert, Andy, Matt, Arjun, Allison, for joining and sharing with us the benefit of your expertise. And with that, Sarah, I'll turn it back over to you to thank our audience and to close us out. Well, thank you very much, Eddie, and thanks to all the panelists. I thought it was a great webinar, amazing insight. I learned a lot, so hopefully the audience did too. 
And uh, yeah, I want to thank the audience as well for joining us today. I know everyone has uh, very busy schedules, especially as we are starting to close out the year. So I really appreciate everyone's time and joining us today. And I hope that you join us for our last webinar of the year, which will be next week, Thursday. And we will be talking about smart building strategies and especially what people learned throughout the pandemic and what can we um, use to bring forward um, as we go into the new year. So with that, I'd want to wish everyone a wonderful rest of your day. And um, yeah, thanks everyone again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.